How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most local political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in your so when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world ah <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy Now, we are in between interviews, and I just have a couple thoughts on the ways in which religion itself can become a way of avoiding reality, and why this matters for churches, and real, but but also why it just matters for all of our lives as a whole. So, let me begin with a story. There's a story about this young woman who was scrolling on Instagram like you do sometimes. And while she was scrolling, she she was scrolling and all of a sudden she sees a picture and a caption, like something on the Explorer page, right? Like, by the way, be careful of the Explorers page, right? There might be things there you don't want to see and like this like so this young woman sees something she clicks on it and right when she sees this picture in this caption it's like her heart just falls to the pit of her stomach it's this jolt of shock and like almost like you freeze like this jolt of shock shoots through your body and she saw this this uh this picture that her one of her one of her ex boyfriends was getting married, and it just like floored her, like she freaked out, like full on panicked, right? You know, she was surprised, and it's like you can't even really name those emotions in the moment, but she's, you know, angry and sad and scared and panicked and in shock, but it all just hits you at once. And it was almost like her body froze and her mind started racing. And when that happened, she <clears throat> called a bunch of her friends and some didn't pick up. But when the first one of her close friends picked up, she was like, hey, I really need to talk right now. Can you meet me somewhere? And she named this like bar they both go to near their house. So when she went there, she decided to walk. She didn't even grab her key. She just started walking. But what's interesting was when she finally met up with her friend to talk about it, she's telling this story. She's like, you know what? I just started walking. And when I started walking, I just threw on my favorite podcast, like listening to some sermon. And when she did that, she she listened to the sermon. She gets there and talks to her friend. And then she proceeds to tell her friend this story, right? So she says, but what, here's the interesting part. She said, I tur- I just flipped the podcast and the sermon on to distract myself. That was her words. I just threw this, I threw the sermon on to distract myself and now I'm here, right? <clears throat> now, 
I have all kinds of compassion and understanding of the shock, how painful that moment is, right? So this is no judgment towards her. But here's the interesting thing about that. For her in that moment, the sermon was a distraction. The sermon was distracting her. It's like the stories and teachings from the Bible were preventing her from facing the truth. The information she was taking in about God actually became a way to evade feeling the fullness of her own life. Now, like I said, it's no judgment towards her. I understand the unconscious seeking of any form of relief when we immediately get triggered with something painful. But the, the point is, and the important part, <clears throat> as we talk about religion and reality, is it demonstrates for all of us how easy it is for people to use religion as a way to avoid feeling and facing the truth. That's why I would say this. It's easy for religion to be used as a way of avoiding reality. We can, you know, zoom that in more. It's easy for our time in church, right? Meaning specifically not as the church, but in the church on Sundays. It's easy for going to church to be used as a way of avoiding reality. It's easy to it's easy for singing worship to become a way of avoiding reality. It's easy for reading the Bible to become a way of avoiding reality. Any religious activity can become a way to avoid reality. See, you can perform all the right rituals and never learn to be real with God, right? <clears throat> I mean, a person can sing and shout as loud as they can while they're, while they're in church and never be honest about the pain they're really carrying. Someone can use the name of Jesus incessantly, and you know people like this. The first person to quote a Bible verse, the first person to talk about a Jesus story, the first person to say God's in control or whatever it is, somebody can use the name of Jesus constantly while hiding from the vulnerability, emotional risk, and open-heartedness that is required to truly love people or forgive people like Jesus. See, that, that's where I begin. Religion can easily be used as a way of avoiding reality. And churches can easily perform rituals, sing songs, and preach sermons that can continue that process or can encourage the process of actually using religion as a way of avoiding reality. Now, here's another story. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, there's a story about two men who go up to a mountain to pray, right? But only one of them actually prays. When the Pharisee, who's the religious leader, goes to the mountain to pray, he starts boasting about how he practices a form of asceticism that's beyond the norm. It's like he's talking out loud. It's like when somebody's saying what's wrong with them, but they're really telling you everything that's right with them. And he spends his energy while he's praying, measuring his accomplishments, comparing himself to others, and judging the tax collector who's also near him. 
So in that moment, the focus is not really on who God is. It's actually on what he does. Now, the other person who goes up on the mountain to pray is the tax collector. And the tax collector is somebody who's normally seen as a sinner, as sort of rejected from the assembly to some degree, or even a traitor. He goes up to the mountain to pray, and he begins with the fact that he is a sinner, which means he begins with the truth about his own weakness. This man knows how fragile he is. He knows how imperfect he is. He knows how the propensity he has to make a mess of things. He knows as a result how in need of God's grace he truly is. This man doesn't justify, explain, avoid, or perform. He just simply and vulnerably lays down his defenses before the presence of God. And Jesus says it's the second man, the tax collector, excuse me, that goes home justified before God. See, you can sing and shout and pray and read your Bible and even lead a church and preach sermons and lead worship or do the announcements or do the readings, but without honesty and humility, we will never know the freedom that only comes from the powerful and vulnerable presence of God that is always waiting to be let into our life. That's why when people, there are certain moments, right? These aren't blanket statements. They're not an overgeneralization, but there are moments in relationships I have where my approach is maybe you don't need to read your Bible more right now. Because what you need to is to find a safe space to be brutally brutally honest about the hurt you're carrying. And maybe a part of you might jump to reading the Bible as an unconscious way of avoiding being honest about the hurt you're carrying, right? Because the religion can be used as a way of avoiding reality, right? Maybe there's moments you don't need to go to another big Christian conference, And instead, if if it's really about transformation, that's really what you're seeking. Instead, you should probably commit to find a therapist who can help you work through some of the trauma that's coming to the surface. Right? Because you know those moments that you went to some big Christian conference. You heard all the inspiring speakers. You took rigorous notes on all the topics. Notes you're probably never going to look at again. And during that time of worship, you stretched your hands as high as you could. And with tears, real tears streaming down your face. In that moment, you knew God was with you. You knew you could overcome the past. And you believed things would be completely different in the future. Are you with me? But by next Friday, things were the same. And what is our? What is the natural reaction for some people? You go to another big Christian conference. And you go back to the same thing the next year. Or you go to some deliverance night. Or you sign up for the next 21-day fast. Or you raise your hands even higher. You shed tears with even more desperation. Hoping and praying that somehow this next experience, this next religious ritual is going to be the final piece that sort of makes everything fit together. But maybe instead of that conference, that person needs to commit to find a therapist who can help them work through things. Maybe they need to be honest. Maybe 
maybe what they need is in or in order to receive maybe what we need to realize is while we're so prone to just do things and throw ourselves and get busy with religious activity maybe we need to realize that in order to receive the freedom you want you actually have to forgive or let go or grieve over what you've lost or face the hard thing of yeah maybe the way you thought things were going to work out haven't worked out and that's just painful but maybe you need to accept that to move forward see so here's the thing so much religious activity keeps us busy gives us the illusion that transformation is happening in our lives when it isn't and it actually functions as a defense mechanism that protects us from the truth of our lives. A defense mechanism that protects us from the truth of our lives. You know, a couple thoughts, you know, in the church, <clears throat> I think pastors need to be, if pastors are actually connected with people, then sometimes the best thing you can do for people who come to your church is not allow them to do anything. Let's just say for the first <clears throat> six months to a year, right? That's kind of how, in large part, we've always done things at our church, imagine, right? There's there's exceptions, right? If the people come, it's like, oh, like, you play the drums? Cool, sure, go ahead and start playing, right? We have a kind of a casual approach to that at times. But there's some people, especially highly churched people, who know how to stay busy, and I think who have been not programmed, but shaped to relate to religious activity, not as a way to go deeper into the truth of who they are, but as a way of avoiding who they are. I can spot those things with people. And when they first come, sometimes my most faithful way of pastoring them is to say, hey, you know what? I know you want to sign up for all these things. I know you want to do this, but you know what? For the first year, you don't get to do anything. Your only task the first year here is to learn to receive grace for yourself, right? I could, there are so many church cultures that could easily capitalize on the workaholic, on workaholics, on people who use religious activity as a way of avoiding their lives. There's so much church culture who capitalizes and just milks people like that for all they're worth. So one, the church is getting all kind of manual grunt labor out of them, but they're not helping the people go deeper into their own life and into God. So one, I think there's a pastoral sensitivity people need to be aware of, of sometimes the best thing isn't how to get them to do your stuff as quickly as possible. And it's actually to give them space to let their life come to the surface, to give them space to start paying attention to what the Spirit is actually doing in them or has been doing in them forever. They just haven't had enough time to pay attention to it. You don't do all the rituals because for you, the rituals are getting in the way. So really, churches need to find ways to help people simply be present to themselves and to God and recognize how how much too much rituals can actually get in the way of people's actual union with God. And also, it's not just that pastoral sensitivity, I think, for churches. It's 
how do how does your liturgy how do your prayers how does your worship music how does your gatherings how does your teaching is all of that creating an environment where religious activity is used as a way of avoiding reality or is it actually used to draw people deeper into the reality of their life where the darkness and pain is in order for the spirit to draw them through their life into the future right if every song is a triumphant victory song there's probably not a lot of mourning, grieving, and naming of the pain going on. If every prayer is triumphant and easily skipping to victory, we're probably not teaching people how to carry loss well and how to deal with grief well. If every prayer, if if there's no prayers and poems of hurt and anger and confusion and suffering, we're probably not helping people name <coughs> all of the ways they feel and experience that in their own life. And as a result, we're helping create an environment where all of those things stay lodged within them and end up getting in the way of the future we say we're leading them into. Are our liturgies, our worship songs, making room for grief and honesty and pain and naming the hard things and face-confronting illusions? And it is our, our rituals helping lead people into death and through it or telling them they just need to sing harder for victory and actually giving them a path to avoid it, right? These are things church cultures and people need to think about. You know, it's, oh, let me, uh, I have a, some, some, uh, some stuff written down I need, I'm trying to find right here. I'm going to skip over this story. Everyone is susceptible to using religious activity as a way of avoiding reality. We all are. You know, even I mean, even now we're talking about the church and therapy. I think about leaders. It's easier to write sermons, lead church services, sing songs, strategize about mission, and do all the things pastors do than it is to actually be honest with yourself and face God with deep intimacy. All these church leaders who do all this great stuff and burn out, they're not facing reality. All these church leaders who have these big moral failures, they haven't learned how to face reality and heal it yet. That's why these symptoms are coming out the way they are. This is why we have so many busy Christian leaders who are driven, ambitious, successful, and falling apart, emotionally unhealthy, and standing at the edge of devastation. It's it's easier, I would say this, it's easier to try to spread the gospel to every part of the world than it is to allow the gospel to be spread to every part of your soul. Healthy religion is never a way of escaping from our uncomfortable emotions. It's a way of embracing these emotions as the spirit draws us to the other side of them. Right? That's why we've talked about bypassing before. Deep spirituality never bypasses our wounds and pain. It takes us by the hand and walks us into everything that hurts and stays with us as we are carried through by God. This is why the great priest Richard Rohr says that the life that reality offers us is not death avoided, but always death transformed. 
and the real work of religion and spirituality is about the faith that there is always resurrection after the death and never the avoidance of death itself. See, so for people, let's think, think about it like for people in, of faith in general, and I would say for religious leaders specifically, we always need to be listening to our life deeply enough and paying attention to our environment closely enough to be able to, to perceive whether or not in the midst of all of the religious activity we're engaged in, we have to pay attention to whether or not through that we're actually being led deeper into ourselves, closer to the light of God, and further on the path of honesty, intimacy, and union with God. And church leaders and spiritual leaders need to think about whether or not their liturgy, songs, worship, sermons, teachings, prayers, small groups, are, are those practices doing that? Are those practices truly, you can never force people to go on it, but is it creating a space that is intentionally constructed to help people go further into their life? Or is it constructed for people to live above the truth of their life and live in that fantasy-like delusion of everything's okay, everything's okay if we just keep reading our Bible and worshiping as hard as we can and keeping a smile on our face? The story is death and resurrection. Our churches need to be set up in a way where we're leading people into the thousands of deaths we need to face so they can experience the thousands of resurrections on the other side. See, real life in Christ is never about distracting ourselves from the depth of our life. It's always about being led into the depth through what feels like the distractions in our life. So, before another great interview next week, there's just a few thoughts I've had about religion and reality, church practices, and whether or not we're doing the deep and real and honest work of facing, feeling, transformation, letting go, confronting all of the real things. Are we just getting high on religion or are we allowing the, specifically the Christian tradition, the practices, the teachings to lead us into the truth of who we are so we can be led further into the truth of who Christ is. Don't use religion as a way of avoiding reality. <laughs>